Okay, I gotta explain this. It's me, Cindy. When I first started talking to you, I figured once a week would be good enough for both of us. And there was so much catching up to do because my life had changed so much. And, and then COVID. Could we even call them the COVID years? And that required a lot of attention. But somehow for the last little while, I just haven't had as much to say. Or nothing really worth talking about. Or at least not every week. I mean, you don't mind, do you? I don't want you to think this is personal. Really, it's just out of consideration for you anyway. I don't want to bore you or waste your time. So it seems now I check in when I've got stories to tell or when I discover or learn something new, which I just did. Two new things, actually, which is literally twice as good. And I mean literally, which is not always the case when you hear the word used, except when I told Lane some people were literally sheep, and she said, not really, literally. And I said, oh, yes, it is. If beyond furry animals, sheep also defines, which it does according to the dictionary, a person who is too easily influenced or led. So I know what literally means. (sighs) Did I get off topic? Can you hear that bird out there? Hold on. Anyway, wait. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So two new things. The first is from a list of best things to eat at every age. Why was I reading that? Valid question. Bob emailed it to me. He's always emailing me weird articles, a wide, wide range of topics like uh, the best thing to eat at every age. So what the heck? Who wouldn't be curious? You can find it yourself if you go to theguardian.com under lifestyle, then under health and fitness. If you don't want to bother, I'm just going to run it down for you. You ready? Okay. Zero to two years old. Leafy greens, eggs, and dairy. I mean, I get the dairy, but leafy greens? Come here, little baby. Have a salad. From two to teens, that's a pretty wide spread of age if you ask me, seeds, tofu, and semi-skim milk. Again, weird, right? I'm thinking the Guardian may have a different frame of reference than you and I. Anyway, they continue, people in their 20s should eat foods rich in B vitamins found in animal proteins. That doesn't sound too tasty described that way. 30s, whole grains. And here's my favorite, 40s, occasionally, nothing. There's a big need for antioxidants, they say, not in vitamin form, but found in brightly colored fruits and vegetables. And then there's the nothing, which is fasting. It's explained like this. If you deprive your body for nutrients for an extended period of time, it will find alternative sources of energy, which it gets by cleaning out your cells, which is called autography, 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 yeah, uh, anyway, it looks like it's pronounced phonetically, it would be autophagy, but I had to look up how to say it, autography, like photography, sort of, Uh, it gave the source of the word, which is always interesting, auto means self, and phagy means eat, P-H-A-G-Y, the literal meaning then of autography is self-eating, yeah, ew, right? Back to what to eat. Might as well finish it up. In the 50s, more olive oil, less butter. The 60s, plenty of protein. And in the 70s and up, a fully balanced plate of food with someone else. I thought that was kind of an interesting addition. It makes a point that maybe having the social element becomes as important as the physical nourishment. So what was the takeaway? That fasting helps you clean out your cells. But better than that, autography. I like that word, even if it does smack of cannibalism. Here's the other thing I learned this week, or maybe just seeing it in writing confirmed it for me. Let me tell you how many times I have shared this with people I know. So many. You can count the eye rolls. But it's so relevant to the challenge that so many of us are facing at this point in history. After the second mass shooting in a month, 
It's all anybody could focus on, think about, talk over. Everyone was looking at every angle, every story, every connection, every takeaway, and a lot of info and details and opinion pieces. Why and how can this keep happening? How could we stop this from happening? But the article I read tackled, how is it that something that big, that significant can happen and shake us to our very core, but at some point, we just kind of move on? Or more like put it down as we focus on our own lives in our immediate world. And really, how and why does that happen? It's called learned hopelessness. It's described as a mental state that occurs when people find out that nothing they do matters. Bleak, right? It makes people give up and stop trying. But it can be conquered by demonstrating that change is possible. By seeing change and by believing that change is possible. By getting out of that recliner you're sinking into deeper every day. You got to get up and let hope drive you. Most people hope for something. They hope for love, respect, to feel seen, for more tangible things, a bigger paycheck, a safe home, good health, the big things, their candidate to win, a better future for their children, peace on earth. Recent polls show while most of us remain at least somewhat hopeful about the future, hope is being tested. Suffering and division are everywhere. There doesn't seem to be a clear path forward. But psychologists say hope isn't a luxury, it's a necessity. One guy described it like, people think of hope like the sprinkles on an ice cream, like it's great if it's there. But it can be key to our well-being. Like sprinkles, hope makes life more enjoyable. But unlike sprinkles, hope provides resilience against the challenges of anxiety and depression. And it even offers some chemical benefits like endorphins and lowered stress levels. People say things like sit back and hope for the best. But researchers who study it say it isn't a passive emotional state. Don't sit back and hope for the best. Get up and do something. An active coping approach. Hope is how we can think about our goals for the future and stay motivated to keep working towards them, even in the face of obstacles or setbacks. Hope brings oxygen into our consciousness. If we generate hope, we're motivated. We're motivated to act because we feel that it's possible that things will work out the way we want. By acting, by doing something, we convince ourselves or we allow ourselves to understand that change is possible. Look, I got out of the recliner. That's something different, right? Hope isn't always easy to hold on to, but you can regain it by shifting attention from the big picture to the little things you can control. Gratitude's important for maintaining hope. It might not solve big problems, but you can be happy you did something you needed to do, or you had a good day, or a good meal, or you enjoyed a few minutes in nature or with somebody you love. Gratitude and appreciation both stoke the fire of a larger hope. Those are things that are well within our control. What can I hope for? What can I do right now towards that? If we feel disempowered, if we feel like nothing we do matters, we're not going to get back into a situation where we're trying to get anything done. But once we try to do something to make a difference, that's how you get it. That's how you keep that little bit of hope there. Here's what I've learned in my own life. There's a big world, right? And you're looking at all the problems in the world and you can't possibly begin to solve all the problems in the world. So scale it down a little bit. How about the Northern Hemisphere? Can you solve all those problems? Nope. How about North America? Can you solve all the problems? No, not that. How about in my world? How about the Northeast? Can I solve all the problems in the Northeast? No. How about just New York? Nope. Just Long Island? Nope. Just Suffolk County? Nope. Just Riverhead? Well, not all the problems in Riverhead. 
but maybe I can do something because I'm right here. I can look around, I can go, what needs to be changed? What can I help make better? And I can throw myself into it. Or I can sit on the couch and watch TV. But really, for the purposes of wanting not to feel so hopeless, I can get myself off the couch, I can make phone calls, I can talk to people, I can find something that I can do to make the world a better place. You don't have to think about it as it'll all work out the way you want, but maybe something different will work out. Don't get lost in the place of it will never happen, because then where are you? That takes away from taking the next action. Sometimes that's all we can do. Then we're doing something, and that's got to count. And that's what I got today. Every once in a while, let your body eat away at itself and get off the recliner and get out in the world to work to make a difference, even a little difference. And not only will you see the change can happen, but others will see it or hear about it, like you now here. I have more, you know, plenty of other episodes of the It's Me, Cindy podcast, which you can sign up for if you like. They're filled with or sprinkled with little bits of hope and happiness and how to make life a little better. Thanks for listening.